Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What's going on, Bear fans? This episode of the podcast is brought to you by our friends at SeatGeek. Let SeatGeek take the confusion out of your ticket-buying experience. Instead of shopping dozens of sites to find the best deal, let SeatGeek do the work for you. Their app scans the web for the best deals to your favorite game, concert, or show, and raises them on a scale of 0 to 10 to let you know if you're getting the best bang for your buck. Use promo code ACAA at checkout to receive $20 off your first purchase. So what are you waiting for? Promo code ACAA for $20 off your first purchase. At SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. The podcast is also brought to you by our friends at MyBookie. It's hard to believe, but football is almost back. The preseason kicks off next week, August 1st, with the Hall of Fame game. And before you know it, the regular season will be here for college and the pros. That means it's time to get an account at the best online sports book known to man. That's right. I'm talking about MyBookie. With an easy, no-hassle mobile site, 24-7 customer service, and bets on every sport and prop imaginable, MyBookie provides a fun, safe betting experience. And if you deposit today, MyBookie will give you a 50% deposit bonus. That's right. You put in 100, they give you 50. You put in 1,000, they give you 500, and it's just that easy. So go to MyBookie.ag and sign up today with promo code BEARS100. That's promo code BEARS100. At MyBookie, you play, you win, you get paid. I've got to tell you guys, I'm really enjoying uh, this period and, and this little interview series that I'm doing uh, right now. My guest today is a returning guest uh, to the show, former uh, Chicago Bear, Super Bowl champion, a member of the f- uh, famous, legendary, mythical 1985 uh, Ch- Chicago Bears, the Super Bowl 20 champions. Uh, Emery Moorhead is back to talk to us and he'll share uh, his thoughts on 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 the, the state of uh, training camp and what it's like today compared to what he went through during his days uh, under Mike Ditka and the, the two days that they did and and everything else in between. We talk a bit about the uh, the Bears 100 uh, celebration. We talk a bit about uh, my ideas about the top 100 list for all the Bears that uh, unfortunately Emery was not on uh, and things like that. It was really really a lot of fun talking to Emery about this. Uh, you know, to get a shared experience or to sh- for him to share the experience on what it was like in uh, in training camp uh, with our beloved back in the 80s and uh, what uh, what 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 you have to do mentally to get prepared for training camp. And and is it a good thing to be cut off from the world and, and away from your family for those times to get ready for the season or can it be a detriment? Is it both, depending on who you are? Some guys it's great. Some guys it's nothing but a drain on their lives until they can get back to their families and things like that. So we had a great conversation. I really enjoyed talking to Emery. Got a lot of great insight on the experience and what the players go through in this all-important time uh, of the year. So um, 
Really enjoyed the conversation. Look forward to having him back. I got to invent reasons to bring Emery back. It's going to be uh, fantastic. So before we get to that, we got news and notes. It's the second Emery Moorhead episode. I'm, I was happy to just have the one, and there I got to have him back on the Bears Talk Underground. So let's get to it. This would be number three in our little interview series that we're having here between our opponent previews and the start of the preseason. Um, happy to have Emery Moorhead back on the show. What's going on, everybody? Larry D. back for this uh, Emery Moorhead conversation, mostly focusing on the, the topic of training camp, what it was like for him back in his day in, in the 80s and uh, – there was some I didn't quite realize, you know, what the preseason all entailed uh, back then. It was much longer uh, back then. I was quite surprised to hear Emery say how long uh, it was, uh, even when the, like they started in Lake Forest and moved to Platteville during his time uh, with the Bears under Coach Ditka uh, and everything. So and, uh, you know, whether or not it was an enjoyable thing to be cut off from the world. Uh, and everything and 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 what the what the purpose of training camp was back then was also a little bit different than it is now so and 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 the funny thing is that the biggest factor in the difference between then and now is the money and it was a lot about the players could afford can afford to be full-time football players now even guys in seventh round picks are making 400 something grand uh, a year if you budget that right that's more than enough to get you through from the end of one season to the start of another uh, and things like that so it's a much different time and uh, training camp had a different purpose uh, back then Emery and I talk about that amongst other things like the Bears 100 celebration the top 100 Bears list and uh, and uh, I even uh, brought to him the idea of doing the all-decade team uh, and, and see what he thought about that uh, as well so stick around uh, for that we'll be bringing Emery back on here in just a few minutes a couple of things I wanted to talk about before we get to Emery uh, I talked to Emery on Monday here it is Wednesday by the time y'all are hearing this and um you know, right in between, sitting right in between. Monday, the rookies reported to camp. Tomorrow on Thursday, the veterans will report. They have their first uh, practice on Friday. The pads come on for the first time uh, on Sunday, and then we're off and rolling. And, you know, basically two weeks from now, we'll be watching the Bears and the Panthers at Soldier Field, uh, getting it on, kicking off the, uh, the preseason. And um, one of the things I want to talk about was, Everybody kind of hit the panic button right off from jump when the Bears made the announcement of a few guys that have been added to the or that will start training camp on the pup list and pup being PUP physically unable to perform uh, list and, and the marquee name of the three players added to it. One was TJ Clemens, who's still recovering from the ACL injury that he suffered uh, as a member of the I believe he was with the Raiders uh, last year. Uh, Jonathan, Jonathan Harris. I think it's Jonathan Harris. He's an undrafted rookie free agent. Uh, I believe he's got a like he's got a, a hamstring issue that he's working through right now. But like I said, the marquee player of the three was Ha Ha Clinton Dix, who apparently uh, injured his knee at the end of offseason uh, workouts. And first of all, obviously, no one likes to hear that, especially a guy like Ha Ha Clinton Dix, who's going to be depended on uh, this year. But the PUP list at the start of the preseason is not as big a deal as it would be if he was starting the the actual regular season 
on the PUP list. Because if you're on the PUP list to start the year, that's six games, you're done no matter what. Even if you're healthy after three, you can't come back until after six games uh, have been played. In the preseason, during training camp, you can be activated off the PUP list at any time. And if we've learned anything from Coach Nagy and the way that he handled the players last year, remember last year how he called, you know, how I called Aaron Lynch, Mr. Sandy Vagina and everything like that? Turns out they were just keeping him fresh for the regular season, letting him be fully healthy and everything before they brought him back. I ended up eating those words. So I'm going to lean, I'm going to stay off of <laughs> Clinton Dix because, you know, Matt Nagy proved me wrong before. Aaron Lynch was actually a solid player for us. Uh, last year I just thought he was bringing his injury nonsense with him from San Francisco here to uh, Chicago and we're, we're paying him a decent amount of money to do nothing and uh, you know I ended up being completely wrong about Aaron Lynch and I'm happy to be wrong uh, about that so I'm not going to say anything negative about haha Clinton there's no distance too far for the perfect trip hi checking in for or the perfect table hey where are you and when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Dicks or uh, him being on the pup list or, or anything like that, the Bears are just bringing him along slowly. The priority is week one, Thursday night against Green Bay. It is not having... You know, making sure haha Clinton Dix gets the reps in the, you know, the dress rehearsal game against uh, Indy or whatever it is like that. They're not worried about that uh, at all. So they are just wanting to get ready for week one so that everybody is healthy, as close to 100% as you can possibly be uh, to start the season uh, against uh, Green Bay. So, you know, like I said, no one likes to hear that kind of thing. No one likes to know that that somebody that is going to be heavily dependent upon uh, replacing somebody that the fans were a fan of in Adrian Amos is starting the the preseason or starting training camp on the physically unable to perform list. Uh, everything will be fine. I'm sure that he'll be activated at some point during training camp. We might not see him play a snap in the preseason, but that's because the Bears are more inclined to get him ready for week one against green bay than they are to see him get some reps against the titans in the series in the preseason finale or anything like that so uh like i said no one likes to hear it but it's nothing to worry about or at least let's not worry about it until there's something to worry about i doubt very much this is going to be a kevin white situation it seems clear to me that since matt Nagy came on board the person that was pulling the strings as far as keeping information from the public or from the press or whatever was John Fox, not Ryan Pace. I remember I had a very, very upset rant on, on Ryan Pace when out of left field, all of a sudden Kevin White's got a fractured leg in his rookie season. And, you know, we thought it was just something, oh, he's just tweaked something. He'll be fine. We'll see how it goes. And he ended up missing the entire rookie year off of something he did in an OTA practice uh, at the end of the season. So uh, it was more John Fox, Matt Nagy, uh, you know, is a lot more transparent 
uh, with the press, therefore with the public as well. And I'm sure they'll keep us up to speed if anything changes uh, with Ha Ha Clinton Dix. So not the best news to hear from the Bears as they enter camp, this all-important camp. But again, nothing really to worry about. At least I'm not sweating it uh, at this point. Uh, One last thing before we get to Emery Moorhead. Um, Kind of an off-the-subject type thing. It's football-related, but it's not uh, Bears-related. The the Netflix documentary, Last Chance You, uh, debuted its new season uh, this past Friday on the uh, the 19th. I just started watching it this week. I'm about six episodes into the eight that they uh, produced for this season. It's season number four, and I've watched every second of every episode, and yet <laughs> every year when I do sit down and watch these episodes, I often wonder why I put myself through it because it has to be one of the most frustrating documentary series to watch in the history of television because these kids... A lot of them are, are super talented football players that just couldn't get it together in the classroom. Some of them are Division One prospects that had to go back to JUCO to get straightened out from one reason or another, didn't adjust well to the first school, thought they'd be the big fish in the big pond, and it turned out to be just the opposite, and they couldn't handle it, uh, and they're trying to get their football lives back on. Uh, you know, or maybe it's just the kids that the documentary producers are choosing to profile. But none of them want to go to class. Every one of them just wants to play football. And, uh, you know, and then when things go wrong on the field, they turn into the worst teammates on the history of, in the history of sports. You know, it is so frustrating to sit there and watch them. You see them play on the field, and these kids are crazy talented. They're really, really good. These are nationally ranked junior colleges that Netflix has been uh, choosing to do this uh, and everything. They've also happened to choose two of the most crazy head coaches that you could possibly find. I mean, the, there's just characters across the board. The head coaches for these two schools that they've done. One, I think, was in Mississippi. This one is in uh, Kansas for the last two seasons. Those guys are both insane. And, uh, and yet they produce, well, this last season, they're not so good. But <laughs> These guys win football games they produce, and that's why they're in the position that they're in. And they can act the way they want to act and – and everything it's just it's it's a chore watching these shows uh sometimes because you know like i said the kids are frustrating to watch they want everybody to do everything for them or they expect things to get handed to them uh and everything and and i just sit and i'm sitting here on my couch a 40 year old man wishing i had the talent that some of these kids have because i wouldn't have wasted it you know what i mean but also i'm saying this with a 40 year old man's perspective as opposed to who knows how i would have been acting if i was that talented at 18 uh like these kids are so i can look at it from both sides but the the you know the 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 old athlete in me wishes that i could have been as good as some of these kids were because i'm i i would love to believe that i wouldn't have pissed it away the way that these kids do it's like they're doing everything they can not to succeed uh in some of these uh situations even though the people are just opening doors for them uh left and right to give them the best opportunity and uh so it is extremely frustrating to watch and um but somehow i can't stop watching it's like train wreck tv i can't i i don't want to watch but i can't look away uh kind of thing so if you're ready for an experience like that feel free to check it out and uh you know you can thank me later so 
Anyway, that's all I got for now. We're going to go ahead and uh, bring in our good friend Emery Moorhead from the 85 Bears to talk to us about the training camp experience, what it was like then versus what it's like now, what the differences are, and what the purpose of training camp is in the difference between those two things. The long and arduous offseason finally coming to a close as uh, as we are talking. The rookies of our beloved Chicago Bears are reporting to camp today. The veterans follow suit in Thursday, first joint practice on Friday. And, and here to talk about the training camp experience and all that in that it encompasses as teams prepare uh, to make that b- trip down to South Miami for the Super Bowl uh, this year. Our friend of the show and, and former 85 Bear and, and Super Bowl champion himself, Emery Moorhead. Emery, thanks so much for coming back, sir. It's always a pleasure. So, Emery, before we get to uh, training camp and, and the perils and, and the struggle that, that, that it all encapsulates, um, uh, you, you did actually go to the Bears 100 celebration. I just want to know what that was like uh, for you, especially since you were one of those people that was on the stage as opposed to a fan who just attended and watched it all unfold. Well, it was exciting from a player perspective because there was players from all the way back every decade and guys, you know, that you heard of and you hadn't seen in years uh, were there. And uh, then there was a lot of young guys for me, comparably to me, mm-hmm. uh, because now I'm one of the older guys. Right. I'm one of the younger guys attending events like this. Now I'm one of the younger guys. And now you see guys like, you know, Nathan Basher and, uh, uh, just all these young guys that are now like, you know, been away from the game for 10 or 15 years. And uh, it was great to see them, but it was great to see people like Johnny Morris, who I haven't seen in a long, long time. Right. Uh, OB was there, who I haven't seen in a long, long time. Uh, but then it's always great to see the people you played with as well. Sure, sure, sure. A lot of, a lot of gold jackets around that weekend. Yeah, uh, well, there were a few. I think five, actually, five yeah. or six were in attendance. Uh, Sayers was there. Hampton was there. Uh, this... Erlocker did not make it for some right. reason. I yeah. think he got sick that that night or that day or something. Uh, but it was, you know, all the greats, you know, all a lot of great players were there. It was exciting just to see everybody all in one place because, you know, you never know when you're going to see those people again. Right. Were you part of one of the panels? I was in uh, an autograph session, and then I was on the 85 Bears panel, which was about six or eight, I think about eight of us on there. And it got kind of feisty. (laughs) (laughs) Because the defense, as usual, thinks, you know, there's a reason they won the Super Bowl and nobody else, you know. But it was fun. We had a great time, great chatter going back and forth, and uh, it was was exciting for the fans. And uh, Virginia McCaskey was in the audience, and it was just—it was an exciting time for for a lot of people. Let me ask you, what what did you think of the uh, the throwback uniform they introduced at the celebration? Uh, well, you know, we never played with throwback. Throwbacks are just—you know—they've been the new marketing thing for about sure. twenty years now. And uh, you know, I understand they're going to be wearing several different throwback uniforms this year in mm-hmm. about four or five games. So uh, we're going to see a lot of different uniforms. You know, the Bears have always been pretty traditional 
in their uniforms and their helmets. They don't change much, but Thank you know, God. they have been changing a lot in the in the in the, in the recent years. Orange orange jerseys and stuff like that. So uh, they're trying to catch up with everybody else who, because uh, you know it, it, it's fun to have different colors, but mm-hmm. still representing your team. Different combinations of colors, and uh, you know, some of the throwbacks are, are really interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm I think the players like it. I think they do. Yeah. Well, I'm a. Uh... My 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 love of Akeem Hicks kind of dropped off last year because he was the one that was the big advocate of bringing the orange jerseys back, and I am not a fan uh, of the orange jerseys. I'm I'm not a fan of the Chicago Pumpkins when they when they wear those jerseys. Yeah, I don't I don't like they just look they look totally different. I wish they stick to the navy blue and the white jerseys. Yes. Pretty traditional, but things are different now, Larry. I mean, with the <laughs> With, with, with these college teams changing every week, oh, ridiculous! Uh, a lot of these, yeah, a lot of them are just used to. It. They they want new stuff. They want different looks. Yeah, I've uh, the way the, the players are. Yeah, I've I've uh, I've uh, complained about it, uh, you know, on social media and things like that about how uh, these days you have to check the box score to find out who's playing because you can never tell simply from looking at the uniforms in most cases. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a lot of change in between teams, too, yeah. with players. So you really got to look at the scorecard and figure out who's on this team, who's on that team. Uh, very, you know, reminiscent of like the NBA free agency uh, a few weeks ago. Oh, yeah. I mean, everybody's going everywhere, and it's hard to figure out who's, who's going to have a good team, who's going to have a great team. And hopefully the Bears, I know they're pretty excited around here about the Bears, and a lot of people think they can go pretty far this year, so... Uh, it's going to be an exciting season, and it's just getting started. Like you said, training camps here uh, Thursday. The vets will be playing. Friday they'll be practicing, mm-hmm. and uh, it's going to be. Uh, and this, of course, is a lot different from when I played because they they have mandatory uh, OTAs. They have mini camps before, and they get a lot of work in before they go to training camp. And uh, when they get to training camp, they don't hit with cool pads anymore. Right. I think once a week or something like that. And uh, and the training camp, of course, is cut to about three weeks. So it's not that intense as it used to be. Back in the days when I first came in the league, second like rookie year, uh, we had nine weeks of two-a-days. Oh. And uh, it was brutal. I mean, there was no relief. And uh, that was when there was 14 regular season games and, 16, and six exhibition games. Right. And when you're a rookie, you come in a week early. So it was two months, more than two months of brutal, brutal uh, football in July and August. So did it start sooner? Because here we are starting, you know, the, the last weekend yeah. in July. Did it start like the like around the 4th of July weekend, something yeah, like well, that? I remember, i tell you what I remember. Uh, my, my house in Deerfield, we had raspberries all over the place, raspberry hmm. bushes. And they would start bearing fruit around the 4th of July. And I knew when that happened, it was time to go to training camp every wow. year. Uh, usually within about a week or a couple of days, two or three days, the 7th, the 8th, you know, you were reporting for training camp. And uh, it was pretty, you know, pretty intense training camps back then under Coach Dicka. He loved to get people in shape. And, uh, there was a lot more hitting in training camp every day, twice a day. And uh, it was more survival of the fittest. Whoever could uh, avoid injury and, and compete and show, uh, that's how you made the team. 
And now it's totally different because you don't hit in practice, and you, then by the time the preseason comes, they're not going to play you that long. So it's kind of, I think it's geared to give the veterans a lot of rest and then you give the, the young kids a chance to play. But you can't tell if they can play by running out there in shorts and shoulder pads. Uh, yeah. Because when you get hit in a game, that's when you find out if a guy can get up next to life for you. Right. And when when you were playing in, in that era, I mean, we talked about this when we when you had you when we had you back on in in, in February with the you know the the work stoppages that you were a part of. This was still an era where guys had to have jobs in the off season because they couldn't afford to be full time football players, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, everybody had a job because uh, there wasn't uh, there wasn't a lot of money. I mean, when I first started out. Uh, I was playing for the Giants for three. I had a three-year contract for twenty-eight thousand, thirty-three, and thirty-eight thousand. Mm. And uh, you know, about the time that July ran around, you didn't have much money left, so you had to go to work, get some extra money, and you had to make the team because it was not a lot of money paid out. And as the years progressed, uh, there was a little bit more and more and more money. Uh, but today's players, you know, the average salary is like two million dollars. Uh, and people walking off the street that make the team, they're going to make about $485,000. Right. So there's a lot more money uh, due to television contracts and all the, uh, the, the other things that the NFL gets to their clubs through marketing. Uh, it's just a lot more money to go around. That's going to be the big thing on this next collective bargaining agreement is right. what's the percentage, what the percentage of the profits is going to be between the players and the, and the owners. Right, yeah, and they're, 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 Goodell's wanting to hopefully bang that out before the season starts, and every expert I've heard says that he's dreaming. Yeah, it's not going to happen this year. It's over It's over after next year's season. Right. So it's not going to happen this during the season. I would be, I would be incredibly uh, uh, surprised if it did because mm-hmm. uh, people want to focus on what they want on their team and on what they're doing. They don't want to be attending uh, meetings uh, concerning collective bargaining agreements and, and get their focus away from the performance on the field. So uh, I would be very surprised if anything is happening out during this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, next offseason will be the key because if it doesn't get done, uh, there could be some work stoppage or something. Right. So back then when uh, when you're in the off season and – you have to to get a job in the off season to 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 make ends meet and and such. How did that affect how you prepared for the season? Because now even a seventh round pick makes about three or four hundred thousand dollars a year, if not more. He can afford to be a full time football player. What was it like for guys back then when you when you had to not be a football player for six months? Well, that was just the norm, and mm. uh, you know it was just the norm. Everybody was kind of expecting to. You had to do something because if you didn't make a certain level, uh, like I said, you're out of money by the time six months later you reported to camp because you haven't made any money at all. You still have the bills you've had right. all year. So, uh, you know, I worked uh, tutoring migrant workers uh, upstate New York. Uh, you know, I worked, so I worked with NBC and CBS in the offseason uh, doing some, some reporting and stuff. And, uh, it was just a different type of uh, environment. And then we came together in like one minicamp for three days. 
And, uh, and then the whole philosophy then was you're going to work your way into shape the training camp because you had eight weeks. Right. But today the training camp is so short and they have all these other OTAs and big camps and everything. They get a lot of work in before they get to training camp, so they don't report uh, out of shape anymore. Plus, it's too much money. Yeah. If you're making that kind of money, you, you don't want to come out of shape to training camp and have somebody really good shape come in and take your job. So uh, to be competitive, you got to be in great shape when you get to training camp. Did you know any, any teammates or anything like that that gave up football because they were making more money doing something else as opposed to putting their body through the, the rigors of the game? Not them, because back then it was more of a love for the game than a love for the money. Sure. And uh, everybody just loved to play the game. It was not uh, the kind of money they had today. So, you know, today you can play that first contract and you can boom, you can give it up. There's been some guys that just played the rookie contract and have quit uh, because it's that much money. Uh, then they get on with their life's work. And that was the whole philosophy back then. This is just a, you know, a, a part of your life at the beginning, and then you have to get on with your life's work. And there were people that went on to be tennis and doctors and all kinds of other professions because, they were, you know, that was the way we were taught was that, you know, this is not, uh, you know, this is not something that you're going to live the rest of your life off the earnings you have. And uh, very few people had had opportunity to do that. I mean, uh, you're in the Hall of Fame, yeah, you can go out and and you know demand twenty grand for a personal appearance, and you know if you guys that even bigger, bigger in the life like the Dickas and those you know people, you can go even higher. And today, like I've heard last week, that Khalil Mack is getting like two hundred grand to go out. Wow. So. It's all different today than it was back then. And <laughs> people don't have to do a thing to you know, to, to survive today except for keep the money. And right. that's a big problem for some people. But uh, other people are entrepreneurs. They open up their own businesses. They have their own foundations where they give back. So it's, it's a lot different when you have a lot of money, what you can do in their offseason, what you can do past your NFL career, as opposed to uh, the way it was 30 years ago. Right, and with the um, with the way the training camp was, you mentioned that that you you could work your way into into shape. So it wasn't wasn't harped on as as much to be in shape when you got into camp, or or it was uh, you know not as high as an expectation as it would be today. No, it's not. It wasn't expected. It was expected that you would be in decent shape. If you were out of shape, they'd somewhat tease you about it. Sure, but uh, uh, you know. Just over the years, even the 12 years that I played, I could see the difference from the first year to the 12th year of what was expected of you mm-hmm. when you got to training camp sure. and how much good of a shape you were supposed to be on. Now, the team of the Giants, they weren't very good. Maybe that's why they weren't very good because they weren't in shape when we got to training camp and people <laughs> thought we could get in tra- shape in training camp. Well, right. Dicker was fairly expecting you to be in shape because he, from day one, we're going to be hit. And there's no easing into the whole process like it was when I was with the Giants. So uh, I think the expectations were different. And now, I mean, I go up to minicamp and OTAs, and those guys are moving around pretty good, even though they don't have full, full pads on. They're pretty physical up there, and uh, they get their work in early. So, uh, you know, and the way they have to I don't think they have two of these, like so many days during training camp. So, 
it's a lot more studying, a lot more focus on technique, and a lot more focus on uh, doing doing the right things and preparing mentally for uh, so you don't make mistakes. And then uh, you get out there in the preseason and you see what you have. And it's with the rules today, as we talked before, Larry, it's, it's very hard to see what you have until you get the real game, right? The first game of the year, and people actually have to tackle somebody. You know, for real. So uh, it's always interesting to see how it starts out because there's always a lot of injuries from the first couple of games because of the physicality of the game, and there is no physicality at training camp. So it's always interesting to see who can stay healthy. Well, that's the key to winning the Super Bowl to staying healthy. Right, absolutely, and and I think that's what has some Bear fans nervous. Even though it was a formula that worked for the Bears a year ago, Coach Nagy and company are more about preserving everyone for the regular season which means that even though they were learning a new offensive system and everything last year we barely saw the starters play in the preseason like the big dress rehearsal game where they're supposed to play deep into the second half the starters didn't even dress for that game uh last year and like i said it ended up working out but you know the physicality and the lack of of training versus what you went through as a player kind of makes people concerned like are they just going to start falling to pieces when they start having to play for real yeah, and that uh, that happens every year to certain teams. And yeah. uh, health is the most important thing you can have uh, entering at the end of the season. Is you want to have your best uh, twenty-two players on the field, and if you got eighteen out of twenty-two, uh, you know that's going to be a different team than what you expected coming out of training camp. Right. Right. And speaking of camp, what was that experience over? I mean, you've already talked about how it's about two or three times longer then than it is uh, now. But like just as far as the, the like, you know, the practices and stuff, obviously that's much different than than now. But the thing that's still the same is the or at least for the Bears, some teams do work in their home facilities and whatnot now. But being cut off from society, going going away, like you went to Platteville. Those were your years when they were still going back to to Platteville and stuff. So you're not even in the same in the same state. You're away from home. You're you're shacked up in the dorms with the players. What was that experience like? Well, that for me was kind of a good experience mm-hmm. because you get you get to get away and really focus on your game uh, without the distractions of paying bills and you know, taking kids here doing this and that. It's like a time where you can really get away and focus on getting better on your game. And then you have the camaraderie of your team in the same situation, and everybody gets to know everybody on a personal level. Uh, and the best part, you know, your meetings in the evening uh, were over about uh, 9.30 at night. They started at 7, you're over about 9.30, and you had like an hour and a half, and everybody would run down to the bars in Platteville for an hour and a half and then run back, but then you had a lot of fun with your teammates and uh, just a lot of stories. And in the morning, everybody's having a, you know, was talking about what happened last night and da 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 da. And then you're out there, you know, with the same guys you were, you were with the night before. You're out there working hard, trying to block them, trying to, trying to, you know, make everybody better. So it was a great time for camaraderie. And I think there's got to be some similarities for that, uh, given the amount of free time and the amount of, of just one-on-one and time with other people on your team, that uh, and that, that's what helps build the closeness of the team, is the sure. training camp. Yeah. That's why it's so important. That's why it's so important. 
Yeah, but and Coach Dicker took us out because before we were in Lake Forest College. Okay, and we would practice there, and then the wives would come up with, you know, after practice with coolers full of beer and everything. And Dicker was like, after one year, he's like, this got changed, and uh, that's when he took us up to Clarksville. And uh, you know, there was no you know evening trips home and all that kind of stuff. Now Bourbon A is just about far enough, considering that most of the people live up north. Right, that they can't make those same kind of trips like they did early on in the Bears. You know, they had to, you know, they had to wait for the for the weekends and after scrimmages and preseason games to see their family, unless the family comes down during the day to right. practices. Did it did it wear on 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 the players or, or on you for how long it was? You said it, you know training camp used to be about eight weeks long or so. Yeah, oh, it did, but that was the whole thing is that you had to make it through training camp, I right? Mean, a lot of people would get hurt and miss a couple of days, miss a week, miss two weeks. But the whole thing was trying to get to the training camp and the physicality of it all. And, uh, you know, day after day after day. Now, this is going to be much better for the players physically because uh, they're not pounding each other. Uh, but, again, uh, is it better for the game? Is it, are they better tacklers? today no god no yeah you know and uh this is why all these receivers are running around loose plus nobody can touch the receivers once they're outstretched Mm -hmm. uh for a ball and uh, the the game has changed you know a lot of people don't like it but it's probably changed for the better for the health of the players sure sure. they don't have to go through all these physical things anymore and it's a change and the records are going to be you know unbelievable uh because uh now, as I said, nobody can touch a receiver downfield. Nobody can touch him when he's stretched out. And same thing with the quarterback. Nobody can touch the quarterback. Well, you know, if you don't touch the receiver or the quarterback, it's going to be pretty easy to get up and downfield. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, wow, you mentioned this is eight weeks long. I mean, by the time, and with all that hitting, and that, that really speaks to, a lot to about the difference between the game then and the, and the game now and we talked about it when you were here last time about how you know the, the sudden spike in injuries having to coincide with the CBA cutting down all of the contact and practice and how many you know like two months uh, of two-a-day practices uh, your body was in pretty much in mid-season form by the time you got to week one well I think that you have to get your body to build up like a, a, a some, some toughness and some armor and some hardness right uh, through the contact and i think that's that's what's missing i think a lot and when people get injured is that all of a sudden that first game everything is 100 percent because the preseason they're not going to be going 100 percent uh maybe the young guys trying to make the team are but a veteran is just going to try to make it through the preseason so he doesn't get hurt before the season starts right and uh and so uh for us the hardest parts were the practices mm-hmm. uh the games, even during the season, were not as hard as the practices we went through. Uh, so it's different today in that, uh, you know, they go out there that first, because I don't think they do any tackling at all during training camp. So that first preseason game, you got to make a tackle. And, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of missed tackles. And I think you see it a lot throughout the year uh, because they only have like 15 full pad practices during 18 weeks of regular season. So yeah. it's pretty much that you're just going to, uh, you know, try to position and, you know, two-hand touch kind of thing. And then uh, during the game, you got to come out and, 
and be as physical as you can within the rules. And it's, and it's uh, tough, and people are adjusting. And they're teaching it at a younger level to, to, mm-hmm. to do the right way to tackle. Right. And uh, so in a couple of years, I think everybody will be used to this, and it's going to be yeah, and 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 I just remember, like during, even during my playing days in in the mid '90s in high school, and and the one year that I played in college was those those first couple of weeks before the season actually started were were paramount in getting your body ready for the game. Because I remember, like I always dreaded the first week or so uh, of practices because my arms would be covered in bruises from all the hitting yeah. that we were doing. You know, but by the time we had midseason, we're still hitting just as much as we were in the preseason. But I'm not getting bruised up like I was before, unless maybe I caught a face mask in the forearm or something uh, yeah. like that. Like my body was more well tuned for the rigors of the game as opposed to when it was when we first started putting on pads. Well said. That's well said. That's exactly right. Yeah. So it was not not a, not a lot of. I used to freak out my mom and my girlfriend walking around. I'm purple from oh, from up. yeah from the tips of my fingers up to my shoulders and everything. I'm all I'm all banged. Like, what are they doing to you when you're out there? Yeah. It's ridiculous. That's a football player there, man. That's, that's a right. Yeah. But usually those first three days, those are the worst. I mean, that's when your body's getting used to the hitting. The first three days, and then after that, you kind of reach a peak where your body's kind of used to it. And then you go on and go on from there. But those first three days are always the toughest because you haven't done anything. You haven't right. done that kind of physical contact. And all of a sudden, you're doing it twice a day. And then once you get past those three days, three days or four days or some, uh, you're just in a, in a groove of what you got to do each and every day. And those days off become more and more uh, important. And you're more grateful for those when they happen. And even like an evening off is a big thing uh, in the middle of training camp when you don't have meetings. Uh, that would be a good thing. And today it's just it's just you know you're not as physical in training camp. So and like I said before, you do all the work before you get there mainly. Right. And I think they have a pretty good idea of who their players are. And, you know, they have a few spots that people are still working on and seeing what they can do that they might be able to make the team. And it's just uh, you know. But like I said, when I played, the injury rate was so different that that gave people opportunities to make the team. Sure. And uh, today, there's this taxi squads, or, or you know, they can hold people uh, back and put them on the practice squad. Uh, about ten, twelve of those guys, so they get to look at guys a little bit longer uh, throughout the year, and and it's just a little bit more opportunity, and it's better for the players that they're not being injured as often. By their own teammates, right? You now, know, which would happen every year, so with William the Parody would fall on somebody and break an <laughs> ankle or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, speaking of which, yeah. uh, you know that the '84. Uh, I mean, this is going to be a big year for the Bears. Either way, it's the the 100 year uh, anniversary of the the first season uh, or the 100 season, I should say, not the anniversary just yet, but the 100 season. And it's because of everything that, that took place in 2018, big things are expected in 2019. And I feel like the, the, the 2018 team and the 2019 team very much mirror the teams that you were on in 84 and 85. In 84, you were coming off maybe with like a 500 season, I think. It was Dick's first full season as head coach because his first year was the strike-shortened year in 82. And you're coming in yeah. 84. You have this good football team. You have a lot of talent. 
there are high hopes. You guys win the division. You go to the NFC Championship game. You fall just short against the 49ers. You come in in 85, and because you've won the division, because you've been to the playoffs, now things are expected of this team. And I feel like this team in, in 2019 is very much facing the same thing. In 2018, oh, we got all these new guys coming in. We got this exciting new coach, a new offense. You know, let's keep our fingers crossed and hope it goes well. It goes great. We fall short in the playoffs. Now here we are coming into 2019. We have all this team that's together again. We, you know, everybody's in year two. We have all this talent. Now things are expected of this team to happen. Can you talk about the difference going into training camp, the vibe with the team itself in 84 versus what it was in 85? Well, in 85, we knew we were a team to be reckoned with. Right. Uh, I mean, we just knew it during the offseason. That that left a bitter taste in our mouth when we went to the 49ers uh, in the playoffs. Now, the difference between this team and, and, and our team was that they had a big change. And Sancho has left to be a head coach. Right. And, uh, you know, Chuck Pagano's a good defensive coordinator. He's going to play the same 40, the same uh, 4-3 defense. And, uh, you know, there's, 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 it should be similar. But in any season, Larry, you have to start with the first game. You can't start talking play. Let the fans talk all they want about going to the playoffs. But the Bears got to beat Green Bay in the first game. Right. I mean, that's that's just – if they want the season to go the way they want it to go, you have to control your division. And the big dogs in the division is Green Bay. And so you've got to beat them the first game. That's just, that's just like a must game already. You, know, you can win uh, all six of your division games. Uh, you're going to be in a position to go to the playoffs. And then from there, anything can happen. But it starts with the first games. And the Bears actually open up the NFL on Thursday nights. Right. Uh, it's going to be a huge game, and the Packers. You know, the Bears had the Packers whipped in the last last year opener, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, Aaron Rodgers. You know, made a miracle second half, and uh, they they beat the Bears. So there's a lot of there should be some bad taste in everybody's mouth, not just from the foot last game of the year uh, that they lost to Philadelphia, but for this first game last year that they lost in the way that they lost it. So I expect a great performance. I expect them to be ready to play for that first game. And that's going to set the tone because uh, Green Bay Packers are a team you have to beat in our division. And uh, so it's going to be very interesting. It's going to start off right right from the top. Uh, so I look forward to seeing if they can do that. Uh, then we know there's going to be progress this year. That was a different thing for you uh, when, when, when you were playing because you, you played it was the NFC Central and there were five teams in the division in, yeah instead of yeah. four because Tampa Bay was in the division as well. So half your schedule was dedicated to your division. I mean, that's, that's a huge chunk, obviously. Yeah, I liked it that way. I thought that was better because those games, are, you know, they're a lot more important than playing, uh, you know, the AFC West or something. Right. And so... Uh, playing those division games twice a year, you're going against the same guys twice a year, and every now and then they throw the Packers in the preseason for us. So you know, really? you play those guys, you get your wow. You know, they play the preseason game in Milwaukee. Uh, that's what they would do. And in Milwaukee, both the sideline, both teams are on the same sideline. Yeah, in Milwaukee. They're yeah, at Old Fulton County Stadium. Yeah, that was. Uh, 
you know, with Dicka and Forrest Greg hating each other and they're sitting there right <laughs> next to each other. That was that was crazy. But uh, when you play division games often, uh, again, playing the same people all the time. You know, I'm blocking Chris Doman every play. I'm trying, uh, Joey Browner, it's a tough safety that I had to go against every twice a year, every year. Yeah, and you get to know it. You get to know these uh, players and their, their habits and how good they are, and uh, and they were tough games. Uh, even Tampa Bay, uh, they never were a division winner when I played there, but they were uh, always loaded with number one players on defense. The right. That they drafted over the years. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the Selmans, and the, there were just so many good players. And you had to be ready to win those games if you wanted to win the division. And uh, we put a lot of emphasis on it, and I think it still holds true today. You got to you got to control your division. I think the only and time because, I remember – go ahead. Yeah. And because it's only four teams – and you're only playing three is that much more important. Right. I think yeah. the the only time I remember the Bears playing um a division opponent in a preseason, I think they played the Vikings overseas or something in the eighties. Yeah, Did you do that? In, uh, yeah. We went over to uh Sweden. Wow. Okay. Vikings. Yeah. So uh, you know, all the all the Norwegians and <laughs> they were all excited the Vikings were coming over. All right. Sweden. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. With the Gotten Burl and played over there, and uh, you know those are great trips for your family to go over and see another park. But it's kind of a it's an extra preseason game for us, right? And uh, that just means you're reporting early to training camp, and you're going to get nine weeks in again instead of eight. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so same thing with the Hall of Fame game. You just get an extra week. The coaches like it because the extra week of practice, but yeah, for everybody else is another week away from your family. Yeah. Um, speaking of the preseason, one of the games that I remember vividly as a kid in the preseason was a game, I believe it was at home in Chicago at Soldier Field against the St. Louis at the time Cardinals. I, I knew you was going to say that. And it was yeah. basically it was a a fight where a football game broke out kind of thing because there were yeah. punches and and benches being cleared. Uh, every time and, and, and everything. I just remember watching that game, and it's like, this is crazy. Like, every, after every play, there was some kind of brawl or shoving match or something like that going on. Well, there was the big brawl on the Cardinals' sidelines. So yeah. Pat Dunsmore caught a pass, and uh, I think there was some extra punches thrown over there while he was on the ground over on their sideline. And then Van Horn got in there and started fighting, and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, if you stepped on the field, I was on the sideline. You stepped on the field, the cameras have you on the field. That was like $500 fine back then. Huh. And then Horn and, and uh, uh, Dunsmore, and I think another player, they got pretty good fines. O.J. Anderson, who was on the card at the time, he was right. actually kicking somebody in the pile. <laughs> and he got a huge fine. Every time I see him, I remind him of that. And, uh, so, yeah, it was a big game. It was an annual game. We played every year. The last game would be the Cardinals. It was the annual Armed Forces game. They okay. It. And it went back a long way. Uh, and then it's, they stopped doing it for some reason. I don't know when. But it was the Armed Forces game that was played every year. It was against the Cardinals. And that was, uh, I mean, and, and just talking about that, I just remember that the preseason was a lot more competitive and it seemed at least amongst the players that you guys cared whether you won or not won or lost preseason games, which is totally not how it's done now. 
Well, the preseason is the preseason. You don't care whether you win or lose. You like to win them all, but right. uh, they don't count. And uh, most of the time, like in the beginning of the preseason, you play a quarter. Mm-hmm. And by the fourth preseason game, you would play a half. And uh, the first half. So it's basically up to the you know, the people trying to make the team to finish the game for it. Right. And uh, so uh, the fact, I think the year we we were uh, won the Super Bowl, we were one and three in the preseason. Yeah, yeah. So there wasn't a lot of emphasis on winning. I mean, the coaches want to win, you know, because winning breeds winning. Sure. Uh, but you're finishing games with people that are not going to be on the team, mm-hmm. mostly the second half. And then sometimes Dicker would like to, offensive line to go for like three quarters because they always claim they weren't in good enough shape. <laughs> and so they'd have to go three quarters instead of two quarters. And then people like Walter Clayton, you know, as soon as he make his first big run, that was it. You're out, Walter. Right. Get you hurt, so you're done. We know you got did, uh, so, did you get lumped in with the offensive lineman on that, or were you no, exempt? No, no, they, they let me out. They knew okay. I was fragile. <laughs> <Fragile>. <laughs> don't get every year, you know, he's not that big. And we always had a lot of tight ends that needed to play too. So So one of the ugly parts about training camp is is cut day and, and in the NFL recently they've cut it down to just one big day for cuts as opposed to when they used to do first cuts, second cuts and then the final cuts kind of thing yeah. now. You know, I mean, I don't think you you were never under any pressure with that. So, but uh, you know, what was it like being around guys who were literally playing for their lives? Well, you know, I got cut a couple times, so I know Did what it's wow. like to be. Okay. I got cut by the Bears my first year here and missed uh, seven games, and then they probably that's right. Yeah, we talked about that. And I got to play for the last nine, and then I got cut that same year by the Denver Broncos in training camp. And uh, so, yeah, you know, after that happened, I was I was always ready. I was always in shape and always ready to compete because I knew it was like to be out on the street looking for a job. And for the young guys coming in, you know, it's it, it's something they've been dreaming about their whole life. It's making the NFL roster. And uh, so, yeah, it's pretty intense uh, because they, they want to make that team. Now, today they have the, the practice squad, which helps a lot of young guys. Yeah, uh, stick around and develop their skills, and hopefully they might get another chance during the year or maybe the next year. And there's been some players that have come off practice squads that have had great careers. So uh, you just never know uh, how these guys. I mean, the Cup uh, Bears had uh, the receiver from the Carolina Panthers, uh, McCardo. Mm-hmm. They had that guy on practice squads for two or three years, and then when they finally release him, he goes to to uh, Jacksonville, uh, the Carolina Panthers, and he becomes an all-pro receiver. Yeah. So you just never know. Uh, you know, people need to be in the right situation and the right offense and the, and the right defense for them to, to really flourish. And uh, so you just never know. Sometimes there's talent there, but they don't know what to do with it, where to put it. And it could be a case made for me because I played wide receiver for three years. I played fullback for a year. And, uh, and then Dick and I talked, and they made me a tight end. Mm-hmm. So uh, sometimes you just, you just have to be in the right office suited for your talents and in the right position to play. It's it's funny how sometimes the difference between being an also-ran and having a, an NFL career is the intangibles. It's not that you're not talented 
enough or that you don't know how to play or you can't make the plays. It, it's little things like, you know, maybe this guy thrives because he's closer to his family or, you know, he is in a system that works better for him than the one that he was drafted into. Or maybe he doesn't vibe with his coach or, you know, something crazy yeah. like that. It really just comes down to the intangibles or it can uh, for a lot of guys. Yeah. Well, you know, my son played five years with the Indianapolis coach. Right. And I told him when he left, I said, look, it's not always about the talent. It's how you get along with your teammates and your coaches and how you fit in. You know, and that plays an important part for young guys uh, coming in. You know, it's being able to fit in with the veterans that are there, uh, being coachable, uh, coaches seeing that you are smart. Uh, you might not have a physical talent as the next guy, but this guy's not going to make the same mistake over, over, and over again, even though he's gifted. So uh, there's a lot that goes into deciding how you make your team and uh, getting along with people, uh, being smart, not making mistakes, and then of course playing special teams. Some guys can't play special teams. Right? They haven't made a tackle in their whole life, and <laughs> uh, you ask them to go down there and make a tackle, they don't have the toughness uh, to do it. And so all those things are, are things that coaches look at is how many things can they do to help the team, how versatile they are, because everybody's not a starter. If you're not a starter, you got to play on special teams. Right. And, you know, can he play on all the special teams? Can he you know, run it back some kicks? Can he be a backup, fullback, and a tight end? Uh, can he play more than one position at wide receiver? Or lineman can play guard, center, and tackle. All those things you have to look at and decide uh, when you're making a roster. And so the, other than just playing one position and being good at that, there's a lot of versatility that's involved. Right. As uh, John Fox uh, famously said once, uh, the best kind of ability in the NFL is availability. <laughs> yeah, you got to be, you know, being available and not being hurt. Yeah. You know, you know, you know yeah, John Ross used to say, uh, you know, I know you got ability and I know you have uh, – uh, Whatever, but he said durability is the one that I, I need. You, <laughs> you know, not just ability and all this other stuff. He said, I need the durability because I need a guy I can count on on Sunday. Yeah. And today, that's different. It's totally different because these guys are making so much money, they don't care about Sunday. You know, if I can't, if I'm not 100%, or 90%, you know, I'll wait another week because I'm going to get paid. My contract's already guaranteed. I already got that money. There's no use of me going out there and not giving it all, you know. So it's totally different. Whereas when I was playing, you didn't get out there. You know, you might be making, uh, you know, two hundred thousand. Then all of a sudden, the rookie's making forty thousand, and he starts to play. Well, I see a difference in salaries they can keep, save, and uh, all of a sudden that guy's going to get a better shot than you. So it's different in that the money plays such an important part of the whole realm of NFL football today. Uh, and accounts and who they're going to keep in training camp uh, because they have to fit it in on their budget. And uh, so yeah. it's a lot of, you know, in, in today's NFL, you have to pay about probably 10 to 12 to 15 players at the most, and then everybody else has got to fit in under a budget. Right. Uh, you know, it, it starts with them quarterbacks making, you know, 20% of your whole uh, payroll. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's uh, that's why they're lucky to get what they're getting out of their quarterback today mm-hmm. because he's such a young kid and he's working on his first contract still. He hasn't got the big, big bucks yet. Right. Messed up the whole 
that's why they're able to sign Khalil Mack because right. the money's going to him instead of the quarterback. Yeah, that's going to be interesting, the problem that the Bears have with all the young guys that are finishing up their rookie deals like Tariq Cohen and Eddie Jackson and, and things like that. These are guys that are going to demand. Trubisky. Yeah, well, yeah, obviously Trubisky, yeah. but, um, yeah. you know, trying to fit all of that along with the monster contract that Khalil Mack got. It, it's a nice problem to have, but a problem nonetheless. Yeah, it's a nice problem unless you're the general manager. <laughs> right. <laughs> trying to figure this stuff out, you know. But yeah, or the or all the all in, you know, last year with Khalil Mack. So it's like this year's got to be the year. They're filling yeah. all in. You know, it's got to be the year because uh, Trubisky's going to be coming up in a year or two, I think. So yeah, you know, they've yeah. got to do. They've got to win it now. Yeah, they got uh, two more years because this is year three. Yeah. They got next next year and his fifth year option the year after. So before they have to tack okay. on, you know, before they're obligated to to do something so they still have some time to make a decision but uh that's that's going to be here before you know it uh kind of thing yeah. so uh yeah that's a decision the salary cap goes up every year too true helps, yeah goes up every year so yeah, by the that time Trubisky comes maybe and then it'll be a new collective bargaining agreement so there's a lot on the line here there's a lot on the line yeah well Emory, i know you got a tea time that you got to get to so i'm going to wrap this up uh for you um okay thank you yeah, no, with, with, real quick, with the, the, the 100 year uh, celebration thing, they announced the list of the top 100 players uh, in, in Bear uh, history. And I wasn't a big fan of the list, to be honest with you. Well, number one, you didn't make the cut somehow. I don't understand how that happened. Yeah. But yeah. the. That was 101. I tell everybody. 101, okay. 101. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, unfortunately, yeah. that happened to a few notable Bears, a guy like Thomas Jones. Uh, didn't make the cut, and yeah. there were several others that weren't on the list. And the the biggest problem I had with the list was the comparison of apples to oranges amongst the teams or the players and the different eras uh, and things like that. And I thought that yeah. maybe what would have been a better idea, especially for the Bears because they're a team that's been here literally as long as the NFL has, was something that they did in the 75 Years book that they released during the 75th anniversary. And what they did in that book was they had – all decade teams they had a 20s team a 30s team a 40 team you know and and things like that and you know to to, for there to be an 80s team that probably would have been a majority of 1985 guys but still an 80s team would have opened up the gates number one it eliminates the whole rankings and then there's no argument about whether gail Sayers was better than red grange or or anything like that and because it keeps everyone within their own era and uh, against the, the guys that they actually played with and against as opposed to trying to say that, uh, you know, Bill George was a better middle linebacker than Brian Urlacher. It's a bananas conversation to try to have. Yeah, yeah, you can't do it. Uh, but uh, the thing about this, you have to remember the Bears have more Hall of Famers yes. than any other team in the league. I think they have 27. Yeah, so 27, 28. So you include yeah. every one of those guys in your top 100, mm-hmm. even though you probably don't know most of them. Right. Because they were in the original, original – uh, beginning of the leagues, and they played in the 30s and the 40s and the 20s, but great players in their own uh, right. And Absolutely, so yeah. You're really talking about top 73 players because the Hall of Famers are automatically <laughs> going to be in. So, right. and when you're talking about 100 years, I mean, that's a hell of a lot of football. Right. And it's a great honor for those guys to make it because, 
I mean, like I said, 100 years of Chicago Bears football. This is not the Jacksonville Jaguars right. all-time team. This is the pretty much the oldest team in the NFL's all-time 100 team. So uh, much respect to all those guys. There were a couple surprises. I, I just heard that Cleo Mack made it. I was very surprised that he made it after one year. Uh, yeah. Even though he had a great year, I thought that was like, well, you know, what happens if he never plays another down for the Bears? You know, <laughs> player, you yeah. know? So, but, uh, you know, a lot of guys and a lot of my teammates made it. Uh, yes. So uh, I'm sure they're all very happy. And maybe if they had an incentive bonus in their contract when they were playing, if they could get another 100000 or another million for making an all-time team, they'd be very happy. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just a few people's opinion. And yeah. good guys, I mean, Don Pearson and Don Pape, yeah. uh, they've been around the Bears a long time. So Yeah, Hall of Famers in their own right. That, yeah, and it's with Don Pearson, I believe, is a Hall of Fame writer. And uh, and Pompey is the uh, is on the Hall of Fame committee. So they know right. what good football players look like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it really, for me, it wasn't so much that, you know, like what are these guys thinking or, you know, or anything like that. It just, to me, I think it, it served the purpose that it served like right now as a, as a conversation piece, more so saying yeah. than, than it, it's etched in stone that these are the 100 uh, best players because the argument immediately begins when you start to think about who's not uh, on the list and, and, and things like that. And uh, as you mentioned, the tw- you know, 27, 28 Hall of Famers, on the team, I think in the top twenty, there were only two guys that weren't in the Hall of Fame in the top twenty, or something like yeah. that. I think like it was like Devin Hester and somebody else that was in the top twenty that that weren't Hall of Famers, or hopefully in Hester's case, yet in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. He'll be yeah. In there, man. he oh, was a ball player. That's he was absolutely. <laughs> so, but I, th- I thought yeah. it was more of a conversation piece, and then I thought you know of the all decades thing it definitely would open things up to I mean to even players in the 90s and and the and the 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 2000s and such like that that you know more people get to be on on that list and maybe you see an Adewale Agunlier on that list and uh you know things like that or uh you know obviously you would have made the 80s team uh, of course you were our tight end for pretty much the entire uh 1980s yeah. uh as well and and opens it up to to other fun conversations like is Walter Payton in the 70s team or the 80s team or is he in both you know yeah like you said there's still going to be some people that will be disappointed that some players didn't make it equals 80s 90s or whatever or the all-time 100 there's still going to be a conversation about well this guy was my favorite player and he should have been on there you know yeah so there's always going to be that conversation, and that's what's great about the book, I think, itself, is that it does open up the conversation, like you said. Right. And then you mentioned Khalil Mack. When I saw that, uh, you know, it, it first that was that was actually the one that kind of like, well, this is more of a conversation piece than an actual, you know, ranking of the players kind of thing, because they put him in at 60, and, you know, wow. so he's ranked 40, ahead of 40 players uh, all yeah, time big, on the that, list yeah. after only one season. Uh, in the uniform, and he did have an amazing year, and I think overall he will be a player that belongs on that list. But after one season, A, does he belong on the list, and beware, and that that conversation gets to be had. But, you know, I I was surprised that he did make the list and then not surprised at the same time because, you know, he I think he had more of a recency bias than anything else to be on that list. So 
Um, but it was it was interesting looking at the list and then going down it. Even somebody like me, the amateur historian and lifelong Bear fan, how many people on that list whose names I didn't know, but it's ranked ahead of guys that I did or know and, and things like that. So it was it was yeah. it was an interesting time when that uh, came out. And the you know I I love the all decades team idea because like I said it, it eliminates the rankings so you're not trying to compare apples to oranges it opens it up to a lot more players being included as well yeah and the Hall of Fame is trying to right some wrongs too uh, yeah next year's Hall of Fame class is going to be they're saying it could be up to seventeen people whoa to try wow. to get some of these older players that uh, you know. Have, have missed the Hall of Fame and people don't know, but there's a lot of great players. But because of the Hall of Stats now, with all these recent, you know, statistical things that people are putting up, and it's all the new players that are mm-hmm. that are getting in, and you're leaving a lot of great players like yeah. Ben Coverts and Jay Hilgenberg, some yes. Bears, and uh, just a ton of players, uh, Lamar Parrish and Kenny Riley, a couple cornerbacks from the from the Cincinnati Bengals that don't get a snap. Ken Riley's like 65 interceptions, fifth all-time to this day in a league that didn't pass a lot back then. Right, yeah. And how did these guys not get in the Hall of Fame? And then there's people from the 40s and the 50s. There's just, just a lot of people that got overlooked, and uh, they're trying to make that right next year. Also, you know, because of the 100-year anniversary, they're mm-hmm. trying, to, trying to do that for to get the classes some of these people that should be in and so it's yeah. going to be an interesting year this year yeah i mean and you mentioned uh you know hall of fame travesties the fact that jerry kramer had to wait until last year to get in i mean god bless yeah. him he was almost 50 years outside of his career before he finally got inducted into the hall of fame that should have happened a very long time ago and see, you can't just bring two old timers in yeah uh, yeah that's just you're never going to get it done you're never going to get it done so next year they're going to have a pretty big class, and it's going to be a lot of people that uh, you know are deserving that just haven't you know just haven't had the opportunity to be recognized. So I'm looking forward to that too next next year after yeah. the Super Bowl to announce that class. Yeah, that sounds pretty great to, to 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 get some of those guys in and take them off that the best not in the Hall of Fame list to get them off that yeah. list to get them get them in the I Hall wish of they Fame. Would do, I wish they would do it for like two years in a row, really. Yeah, everything up, you know, that would be nice. I well, I'm going with Astra either, though. Right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I have one last thing that I, and it's not really a question; it's just something that I wanted to uh, to clear up with you before I let you go. Um, when I was listening back to our first uh, conversation, uh, we we mentioned uh, you know President Obama, and, and I made a comment to where um, something something about him him being a, a Cubs fan or something like that. It, basically what I said was what I said amounted to me not being a Cubs fan. And that is not true. <laughs> that is not true. I was like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. No, no. Cause you, cause I remember listening to your response and you were defending the Cubs. Like, no, I'm a North sider. I'm a, you know, we got go Cubs. And I was like, wait a minute. Did he think I'm not a Cubs fan? Like, no, no, no. I am a Cubs fan. You know, I literally grew up down the street on, on, you know, I could literally walk to Wrigley Field from where I was born. So it's like, yeah, I am a North Sider, true and true. I just wanted to clear that up. I am not a stinking White Sox fan. And that was that was the one thing I didn't like about President Obama was that he was a South Sider and he was a Sox fan. 
and we're Cubs fans. You and I, we are yeah. Cubs fans. So, yes, yeah. I wanted to clear that up and let you know that I sport the blue and red, not the black yeah, and white. Yeah. So, All right. I appreciate that clarity. <laughs> I'm Cubs fan all, all the way. There you go. That's right. That's right. Okay. So, Emery, thanks so much again for your time. Thanks, and um, look forward to having you uh, back on real soon. Okay. You have a great day. Thank you. You too. Remember, guys, ACAA is the promo code for $20 off your first purchase at SeatGeek. And Bears100 is the promo code for 50% deposit bonus at my bookie. want to thank Emery Moorhead for coming back on the show. A lot of really great insight on the training camp experience, what it was like for him then, uh, you know, what, it's, what training camp is like nowadays and, and the purpose of training camp. You know, I was very surprised to hear him say that, you know, they weren't expecting you to be 100% in shape when you got to training camp. That's what, what training camp was for, to fine-tune your body and get you ready uh, for the season. Nowadays, especially with the lack of hitting because of the CBA uh, and everything, it's much more important that you come to camp in shape, ready to go, because you're not going to be doing as much hitting and tackling uh, and everything as Emery and, and, and his uh, his and people in his era did uh, back then. It was, uh, you know, remember when I made the remark to, to Emery about how, you know, even in my playing days in high school and then one year that I played in college, the first week of practice was always the toughest one because your arms would be covered in bruises. You'd be so tender because you're banging into stuff and, and you know, catching face masks and hitting shoulder pads and, uh, and everything in between. But it's like throughout the season, those bruises – they go away because your body is used to the punishment and you know a lot of the players today don't really they don't really do that uh, as much they're going to hit for the first time on sunday it might be the only time next week that they use pads uh and hit uh and practice and things like that it's it's a much much different experience for players now than it was uh back in emory's day and um like i mentioned at the top of the show Money has a lot to do with it. You know, even even guys that, that are drafted in the later rounds and things like that don't necessarily have to go out and find off-season jobs to be able to make ends meet. They are able to train 24-7 or train throughout the year to get ready for the season as opposed to, you know, Emery Moorhead, even, even he had jobs in the offseason. You heard he was doing TV and radio work and, and things like that. Other guys was going off selling insurance and, you know, things like that, going back to school to prepare themselves to uh, have a career where they could make a regular living and things like that. So, uh, like I said, a much different time, money a much bigger factor uh, now than it was then or, or the, the, the factor in, in the difference between the two. You know, you, the, 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 the preseason is shorter. The season is longer because that's more money for the, the league. The players make more money. The sport has grown exponentially since since Emery's day uh, and everything. The billion-dollar TV deals and things like that. The, the NFL probably makes more in a week now than their entire TV package was worth during Emery Moorhead's day back in the, uh, the 80s. I remember watching, I think it was, 
you know, the TNT did their own like original movie about Monday Night Football in the first year uh, of Monday Night Football. And I remember Pete Rozelle sitting down with one of the, the producers or something like that. And the, he, Pete Rozelle told the producer that they wanted like $30 million for the season of, of Monday Night Football. And the guy almost fell out of his chair, $30 million. If, you went, if Roger Goodell sat down with a TV executive right now and told him it would cost him $30 million for Monday Night Football to remain on ESPN, he would probably try to write the check with his own personal account. That's how quickly he would uh, take advantage uh, of that situation. It's billions of dollars for Monday Night Football to be on ESPN. And just for Monday Night Football to be on ESPN, it's an, an enormous amount of money that the NFL is making now with their TV rights and, and things like that. And it affects absolutely everything, including how teams get prepared for the season uh, with, you know, eight weeks for training camp. That is crazy. Can you imagine eight weeks for training camp, what that was like? I mean, it's, that's two months, two months. Like right now, what the way that they've handled it for the last several years, they're only going to be at Bourbon A for like two weeks and then they go back and they're practicing at, in, in Lake Forest getting ready for like the last two weeks of the, the preseason. So it's not even a full month away from their wives and their kids and, and their families and, and cut off from society and everything. It's two weeks. It's a vacation, a working vacation, but a vacation nonetheless back then with Emery. And his, I mean, if, even if it was like that, you're still talking six weeks away from the family before you're sleeping in your own bed again and everything. It's a vastly different experience. Uh, than what it is now and it was really interesting to talk to Emery and hear all of that uh, from him so I hope you guys enjoyed uh, that conversation and I hope you guys enjoy the next one Carolina Teague from uh, well I talked to her today actually I've already recorded her interview it'll come out next week and um, formerly of ESPN in San Antonio she's with um, oh what is it called uh, she's gonna kill me it's uh, 7 60 a.m. In San Antonio, I forget, I think of the ticket or something like that. Caroline, if you're hearing this, sweetheart, I'm sorry. Uh, but sports uh, as told by a girl.com is the website that she writes for uh, and everything else. She's, uh, she, I had a really great conversation with her. I really enjoyed the talk a lot, and I hope you will as well. And then the week after that, the, the fifth and final interview, Brett Coleman uh, will be coming back on to the, uh, to the show. And this time he'll be talking to us about the videos that he's been uh, releasing on YouTube. Guy's got like a 100,000 subscribers on YouTube. He did a video last year about Eddie Jackson making a case for him to be MVP, the defensive MVP of the year uh, last year. He just most recently released that, that video on Mitch Trubisky. I mean, you even heard Adam Rank talk about it. I mean, that's the reach that these videos had. Aaron, Adam Rank has seen it uh, and everything. He also did a really cool one where he broke down how it was the Bears shut down the Rams uh, last year and he also profiled a pre-draft Roquan Smith saying why it was like he might suffer and fall in the draft because of all the quarterbacks and he'll be drafted lower than he probably would have in a regular draft when there weren't six quarterbacks going in the first round or anything like that and he should be drafted much higher I wonder if if eight was high enough we'll ask him when we talk about those uh, videos but we breaking all of those down what the process is and and, and everything like that and uh, you know get us get some further analysis on on Trubisky and, and what he thinks about him but that's your homework assignment for that episode Brett Coleman will be the week after the week that we play the Panthers I'll release it on Tuesday the 6th that's when that episode uh, will come out we play the Panthers on Thursday 
uh, the 8th. So you have a, a homework assignment between now and August the 6th when the episode drops. Watch those videos. Just search Brett Coleman or The Film Room on YouTube, and you'll be able to find those videos and check those out. So that's your homework assignment. So you'll be able to follow what we're talking about uh, during uh, during the show when we have Brett back on. So come back on Tuesday of this of next week for Carolina Teague and our conversation. And the following Tuesday after that on August the sixth, Brett Coleman will be uh, will be breaking down film uh, with Brett. And then from there, Bears Panthers in the preseason. We start getting the ball rolling with the preseason shows, and before you know it, we'll have Evan Western back to preview week one and how we're going to kick the unholy hell out of Green Bay on Thursday night football. So come on back Tuesday for the Carolina Teague Show, and from then on, it's it's all downhill, guys. We are almost there. The Bears are actually on the field practicing uh, this week. It has already started. The 2019 campaign has begun as the road to Miami is being laid out in front of us. So, uh, Come back on Tuesday uh, for Carolina Teague. And until then, my name is Larry D. And this has been Bears Talk Underground. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.